Hello, caregivers. Welcome to my podcast. This is a place for helping professionals and personal caregivers to share openly and honestly about the true hardships of providing care to others, while we also talk about sustainable solutions to self-care and personal wellness. My name is Amanda Rochelow. I am a registered social worker and a compassion fatigue specialist, and I am committed to helping the helpers. So I'm here today to introduce you to Angie Wellman. She is a psychotherapist in Belleville. And Angie, I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, feel free to introduce yourself however you would like to the listeners. Great. Thanks, Amanda. I'm really so pleased to be part of this. Um, so yes, I, uh, I am currently practicing as a psychotherapist in Belleville. Um, I'm relatively new to working in the mental health So I went back to school in my late 30s and um, have been working in the mental health field since January of 2017. Previous to that, my background was actually in education. I taught for a few years and then I worked um, at a big university um, in sort of administration, recruitment um, and management and certainly had um, many experiences personally in terms of being challenged to maintain mental health in a very big organization with a lot of expectations and pressures to perform. I think that was for sure the first time my eyes were opened to um, what it meant to kind of have to fight for your own wellness. challenged again with those performance expectations in an industry <clears throat> that kind of expected go, 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 push, 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 move, move, move. Yeah. Yeah. Something I think many of us can relate to, but uh, um, you, you now have that experience in the first part of your career and uh, I guess an, another type of experience in a different type of career. So can, you know, was that push um, and the, for expectations for performance in the first part of the career um, in education, what, did that motivate you to change your career? Mm, great question. What motivated me to change my career? <clears throat> I think um, I reached a point where I was realizing that I was pushing and burning out for something that actually didn't resonate deeply with me and my own value system. Not that education wasn't important to me, but I started questioning, you know, the specific vision or mission of recruiting for post-secondary education. <clears throat> Just, it really didn't resonate inside. And I thought, wow, I'm spending so much energy and expending so much of this. And I'm not sure if this is quite what I want. Did a lot of questioning, a lot of soul searching, actually went and saw a career counselor and mm. did a beautiful battery of tests to kind of figure out, okay, wait, if I'm doing something that's more in line with my values, will there possibly be less potential for burnout if it's more in line with my own morals and values and desires in this world, which was a really interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I mean, the research that has been done around um, the contributing factors of burnout, the uh, being in sync with your values Mm -hmm. and having a sense of purpose in your work is one of those contributing factors. So, you know, it falls on that continuum of, you know, low, low uh, purpose, sense of purpose, um, you know, the ethical dilemmas or um, doing work that's not entirely lining up with some of the values that at, at times are formulating as we, as we, 
go on in our lives, right? So sometimes it, it worked at one time and, and then we change and, and then our, our uh, being able to sync up with our career choices changes as well. So um, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that that's something that uh, a lot of people can relate to um, in, in, in feeling that discrepancy, that um, disconnect between their values yeah. and, and the work they're doing. And it, and it, uh, the, the question I end up hearing from a lot of people is why, why am I doing this? You know, the, and, yes. and when you, and they're okay. And I probably in most careers or, 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 or professions, we, we do ask that question from time to time, but when that becomes a pattern where you're starting to question that on a regular basis, then I, that's usually an indication that something needs to shift some sort of change. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is, is what your experience what did you know? How did you know that you were experiencing something, you know, you referenced or you, that you were leading yourself to burnout? What did that feel like? Or what, how did you know that for yourself? Yeah. So all of my stress manifests in my body almost. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it starts at least. Yeah. Um, and I started having just a lot of problems in my belly. That's where my stress is held. So a lot of intestinal struggles and, and really quite sick and actually ended up missing work and, and having, you know, to see a fair number of doctors to kind of figure out what was going on here. Yeah. Um, and at the same time as the physical um, symptoms were erupting, also I was starting to notice a tremendous amount of what I would call anxiety. So spinning mind, the kind of constant ruminations. Um, I went into a period of insomnia. I wasn't sleeping at night. Um, again, had to see a doctor for a while, actually went on some anti-anxiety medications. Wasn't really sure why, except just I was reaching the point of not not doing great, yeah. missing some time from work because I just was feeling so overwhelmed. Um, tightness in my chest, weeping. I, you know, eventually it moved to the place of just weeping a lot. Most mornings before I went to work, when I got home from work, um, when things were the worst, probably even a couple times with my boss in her office, she was very kind and, and gracious and let me have that space. But um, yeah, that's what it looked like for me. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I think um that was very descriptive and something that um, I'm sure is some people can relate to. Um, so what happened then? You started to uh, become very aware that stuff was going on. Um, maybe you were starting to make a link between your physical health and mental health. Um, uh, and then maybe even linking it to your occupation. What, what shifted things for you that made you, or what was the first step that made you uh, create some change or some shifting in your life? Well, to be very honest, those symptoms got really, what felt to me pretty unmanageable and I ended up taking off some stress leave. Yeah. So I took, uh, I ended up taking seven weeks off in the full length of time, um, seeing my doctor along the way, seeing a therapist along the way. Um, and the first few weeks, I was just really in crisis mode and just trying to get healthy and well again. And then toward the end of that stress leave, having a little bit of space to say, okay, how did I get to this place? And what, what isn't working? And what do I need to do to not get to this place again? Yeah. So um, with the help of the therapist and my doctor, certainly started 
diving deep into the whole self-care piece and started doing yoga pretty faithfully and being really conscientious about sleep and nutrition. Um, and that's when I started seeing a career counselor to start and to start to question, you know, what's going on here and what do I need to be different? At the same time, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, okay, well, those are all of the fix-its that I try to engage with to make myself better and to, you know, to be very honest, find an exit strategy and something different, while also understanding that the system, the expectations of the system are probably breaking people. Right. And that I have my responsibilities to take care of me, but what is happening in the big picture and by that, I mean, yeah, performance expectations, have your BlackBerry on you at all times, be available for answering management's question at all times. You know, those kind of systemic things that it didn't really matter how much self-care I did, those were always going to eat away at me. Absolutely. That is what I'm talking about also often. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. I'm really glad that you were able to identify that in, in you know, early on, um, because there are times where I, I take a checklist, you know, I, I kind of go, you know, here's what the research says are, are the contributing factors, the workplace contributing factors, because of course, as you mentioned, there's the personal factors. And those are the parts that you can absolutely uh, need to take responsibility for. But when you can step back and um, really understand the workplace contributing factors, <clears throat> I think then people can stop taking you know, I, I guess maybe blaming themselves for the experience and starting to see that, wait a minute, this is a, an occupational hazard. This is a very natural and predictable outcome for a system that's working in this way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And it's, it's very comforting and kind of, I guess, normalizing or validating for yeah. to hear that what happened is actually a natural reaction to those pressures and it was happening to many people and I've certainly seen it in other agencies including in the mental health field um, where you know when a person starts to be struggling management will say how's your self-care do more self-care are you taking care of yourself and for a personality who already probably um, is a striver and a thriver and um borderline perfectionist who wants to get it right and do more when you're in a state of vulnerability and really struggling to be told well here's five more things you need to do really well um it's sort and of the like onus is on you yeah exactly exactly yeah what does life look like now in terms of your perspective on um, the you know the self care mm. concept and um, and your understanding of the occupational hazards of doing human service work. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you asked that question, I'm thinking. You know what? Something did shift, and and I don't know if it shifted just because I learned from the scariness of my own experiences of being so unwell or just through listening to really wise people around me, probably a, a combination of, of all of that. Um, but I definitely realized that as I got older, I was willing to put up with less from my management yeah. supervisors. And by that, I, I don't mean not working incredibly hard, but starting to prioritize that my time was my time and that 
my work didn't need to seep into that. And then I started noticing that, to be very honest, probably toward the end of my time in the more corporate world, and then as I entered this mental health field, where I would hear my younger colleagues say, oh, but I have to stay later, and oh, I don't feel like I can say no to that request, even though it's so not in my scope of practice, and it's so not in my job description, not to be, you know, fussy about that, but just the like, well, I have to say yes, or they might fire me. I have to say yes, or they'll never promote me. I have to say yes, or they'll think badly of me. Um, I think also definitely in the mental health field, that sort of perspective of like, well, you should give and give and give and give and give a little bit of, I want to say martyr complex. And that sounds a little funny, but if you know what I mean of like, yeah. well, no, we're here to completely give of ourselves and deplete of ourselves. Um, and I, I think by, you know, with age and, and my own experiences to say, no, no, we, we still have to operate within boundaries because that's what keeps us well to serve the people we're going to serve. Right. That if we're saying yes to everything, we're depleting constantly, there is going to be burnout. And I certainly saw it in many of my colleagues in the mental health world, sadly, right? Just, just emptying themselves out constantly for fear of saying no, for fear of not being seen as generous or giving enough, but really having major physical and mental health issues themselves then. So that, I think that's where my change has been. <laughs> right. And, and that's it. I mean, it's, it's through your own experience. So like the, the painful place that you like, I don't want to go back to that, but then I guess it really through your own experience, you end up seeing those things differently. I can relate mm -hmm. to that a lot. And I hear people, I can see the shift, that that happens with people when they they start to see yes. um you know the general culture or attitude that exists uh often in the mental health field mm -hmm. um and, he, and and it's like whoa i'm seeing it differently or mm -hmm. i used to be like that but i'm not anymore um and i think that you were speaking to two things and one is that there is a common theme that there's this attitude um, uh, in in the in the workplace that's you know of of the overgiving of ourselves, and I think that when we're working with people who are suffering in general, um, the there there's always going to be a gap between the need and what we can provide, the resources yeah. we have available, including our own inner resources. And so when we when we see the need being so great. It, there is a draw. I mean, it's the, it's the double-edged sword of our compassionate hearts, right? Yes. We're, we're, we want to help. Yes. And, um, but I often am reminding people about the fact that the need will always be there. It will always be greater than what you can offer. So the boundaries, you know, if it, it's, it's an unrealistic goal to try to just keep giving, giving, giving with this idea that someday it's going to, you know, that, that all the needs will be met. It'll be enough. <laughs> it, it's it's a, an endless lineup. It's not going to, there is no end to the line. So we have to sort of step back. And, and, and when we understand that, um, then we know, okay, no, the actually the end of the line is my own boundary. Yes. That's the line that I go to. And then the next day I go to that line once more. Um, instead of looking at that, you know, invisible line that doesn't exist um, um, in terms of the needs. So, um, so there's the, the personal attitude um, that we bring in and then, but then it's weird because 
the culture of these mental health agencies sort of reinforce that attitude. Yes. Um, uh, I've often heard people talk about the fact that when you go in with a boundary, when you say no, that you look like the black sheep, you know, and, and so there's, there's a little bit of, you know, um, uh, subtle coercion to sort of draw you into that, um, uh, to the culture that says, you know, the martyr culture, the, the, the give it all you've got. And if you're not, if you're not stressed out, if you're not exhausted, if you don't have bags under your eyes, if you don't live off of coffee, if your car isn't a mess, um, if you don't cry yourself to sleep or drink copious amounts of wine at night, then you're just not doing good enough job. And, and right. nobody says it directly like that. But if you, if you, you know, research, uh, like Google, um, memes for social work, that's what comes up. That's what comes up. Like that's the social worker that, that you're supposed to look like. You're supposed yeah. to have a trashed car and live off of coffee and drink wine and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, look a little disheveled yourself in life. So, so I, I, I appreciate that you were able to speak to both of that, that, that there's this culture that you know you find yourself in and then also uh whether it's our own attitudes that are there or we kind of our attitudes adapt along the way you know chicken or the egg i don't know but it all it all influences each other um yeah and i think that i think that the challenge that a lot of people face is that a lot of times the the beginning place is taking responsibility for your own attitude, your own perception, your own boundaries and doing that work. But it doesn't come easy because you are then coming up against, you know, something kind of bigger than you. And, um, and that's a, a challenge. Did you, can you speak to that a little bit? Did, can you relate to that of kind of um, having to, to, uh, uh, try to try to hold your own boundaries while others were maybe not appreciating that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely relate. And as you were speaking, I was thinking of examples of, you know, working in a variety of places, both in the mental health field and not, where the rewards are given for going above and beyond. Right. That that kind of not helpful behavior where you give and give and deplete and deplete and burn out are actually praised and rewarded in our society, in the corporate world, in the mental health field, in the education system. Um, you don't get rewards for what great self-care you've done and good for you for setting boundaries and good for you for only working the hours we ask you to work. <laughs> not that we need rewards, but you know what I mean? Like it's very subtle, but it's very much like, no, you will be moved up because you go above and beyond and you give more and more and more. Right. And giving, going above and beyond is great if it's coming from a place of health and enthusiasm. Um, but if the result is burnout, then it's, then it's not adaptive. It's not helpful. And I'm thinking about a colleague of mine who yeah, was asked to do a lot more um, than was probably healthy and hearing the perspective of, oh, she's so incredible, and oh, she's just, she gives and gives and gives, and um, even from her, you know, I can't let the clients down, I can't let people down, so this, this kind of, well, again, maybe that murder word, um, and that that is praised in a lot of places, and so certainly to set, to set the boundary and say, no, I, I won't be doing a lot of free overtime, and 
I won't be answering the phones on the weekends and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, you do feel like a black sheep for sure. A little bit cold hearted, a little bit, you know, um, maybe different than, than what has been created as the expectation or the hope, maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think the shift for me was that I started to view um, sustainability as more of a priority than, you know, being the best I could be that day. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had to sort of pan out and go, well, how am I going to be the best that I can be over the course of my career? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that meant you know, that sort of helped reinforce my boundary of the day it was like, okay, well today, maybe I could keep on going for another five hours or something. But, um, but in the long run, that, that won't pay off. So, and I don't know exactly, I, I think it was my own story and my own, my own pain points as well, that I guess just made me realize that the way I was performing as a, as a worker, as a mother, um, was not sustainable mm. and and so that's that key word for me always is this is this pace sustainable mm. you know and and then that that puts me at pause and go okay you know maybe I'll do that for today or you know today's going to be one of those heavy heavy work days or heavy parenting days but but it's not going to be every day that's a but great that, perspective and yeah. I listened to that what what I came up for me is also I think for me my pain point was my body yeah and that perspective, my body and my mind, because I feel like I came pretty close to breaking both a couple times in life. Yeah. Um, and, and coming to that place of this, I have this for the rest of my life. And to be very honest, my employers, managers, supervisors aren't with me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. this, this is me for the rest of my life. And so I guess the sustainable point for me is less on a professional point as much as, <clears throat> pardon me, this body and this mind and this heart and the soul has to last me for another 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, so yeah, that, that I think was my turning point to be honest, yeah. not willing to risk my humanity and my wellness. Yeah. Which sounds, which, to be honest, as I'm saying that even that old message, that old story of selfishness comes up. Oh, don't say that. That sounds so selfish. Mm -hmm. They're still battling it there. Right. They, and, and, and don't you th think it's interesting that we, um, somehow that those messages do sort of seep in. It's not like anybody specifically, I mean, maybe in some people's lives, <laughs> people specifically might say that, deliver that message that's selfish or something. But, um, but I, I, I look back and I go, where did I learn that? Where did it come from? How subtle of a, of, of a, an injection of that, of that perception, you know, over time. Um, and how I just, noticed one day that I had adopted a, mm -hmm. a, a view that uh, wasn't working well for me. And that, that was a, a big shift in, in just noticing it was there. And then, and then like, just like now noticing once you realize that, then you go, Oh, there it is again. <laughs> yes. did again, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, I'm always saying that I'm always sort of like, you know, doing that, you know, I make some progress and then I sort of regress a little bit and then make some progress. And it's all through the, that self-awareness piece though, about mm -hmm. being able to recognize where, where it's popping up. So what does wellness look like? For you now, mm. you know you you come from that pain point. How do you know you're living in wellness now? Not that you are all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's you a process. Always, 
how would you recognize wellness in your life if it were there? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm really grateful to say that right now I feel like I'm in a great place of wellness. And I have to say, part of that is that I've made yet another transition. And so the position that I had um, has come to an end. It was just a contract that I was on. And so I'm now broaching into my own private practice and um, I have a part-time job just two days a week. And then, and then I'm doing this. And for me, the wellness is there because I'm really so deliciously being able to define what do I want? What are my values? Um, what do I have to offer the world? How can I serve? And being able to create something very specifically aligned with that, which makes me feel so alive and so thriving in ways I didn't even know was possible, to be honest. So there's that piece. There's also um, the flexibility and autonomy. And I remember reading that, you know, people can do all sorts of work if there is a sense of flexibility and autonomy, that that's actually one of the predictors of feeling safe and good in your job. And so again, the privilege and deliciousness of developing my own practice is, is the autonomy of if I, if I work best from noon until eight, or I work best, you know, from five in the morning until two or whatever, um, that that flexibility piece is important. And I do hope that that can work into the working world more and more. And I know that lots of companies and lots of places are approaching that about more work from home and more flex hours because each of us has our own kind of energy bursts at different times of the day and, and peak productivity at different times of the day. So I'm noticing that that's a really powerful piece for me. Um, and also within that flexibility and spaciousness, then being able to do the self-care piece that's important to me. So every morning having the time to get up and get on my yoga mat and sit in meditation and do some journaling because I don't have to be at a place by 7 a.m. Again, knowing that I have tremendous privilege in creating this life right now. Um, But for me, those pieces are big, are big. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess those are three kind of things there that I see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I've been doing a lot of reading about on the uh, national standard for psychological health and safety. And um, there are these guidelines now that the Mental Health Commission of Canada have created that have said, you know, these are the, uh, if you want to create an optimal um, work environment that is uh, um, conducive to good psychological health and safety, um, then these are some of the things you want to, to, to do. And, and uh, autonomy is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, creating, a, a f- having the flexibility, um, you know, looking at results base as opposed to restrictive hours. I mean, yes. you know, I, I think the word accommodations can, is starting to become a little bit of a, a you know, uh, it's a, it's a complicated uh, thing to look at. Uh, and uh, there's politics and um, all sorts of things involved with, with uh, agencies that are trying to, to provide accommodations. And I think that a lot of times it's not done very well. Um, there's still, it becomes this taboo thing where people are going, well, it's not fair that Jane is allowed to come in at nine and I have to be here at seven and, you know, um, th- that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely starting to hear a lot of those types of conversations from management level going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to um, be a accommodating and 
get the job done, um, yeah. and then employee employees um, uh, feeling, you know, maybe that I mean, I'm one that I heard the other day that I thought was really interesting is. Well, I went in to talk about accommodation so that, you know, I could just introduce a little bit of that flexibility, which would be really good for my mental health. And instead, this accommodation was put upon me and I was told mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to be at work before 10. And that doesn't work for me. Oh, <laughs> I thought, wow, what a disconnect here. You know, you've got one employer trying to be helpful, I guess, in some way, but without that, that real communication. And, and so what I really hear you saying is that you use the, 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 a part of your wellness has been really tuning into what do I need mm -hmm. and knowing that those needs and those desires are always changing. Yes. And so depending on where you're at, is it Monday? Is it at the end of the week? Is it, um, did you get a good night's sleep last night and, and rolling with it a little bit and having just enough wiggle room in life to be able to make some subtle adjustments. Like mm -hmm. I often call it the 1% change. A lot of times just 1% mm -hmm. change is, it can make a really big difference. And, um, and, and so sometimes we, even in our self-care plans, we become really restrictive or, or, yes. or, you know, rigid in going, you know, okay, I'm going to do this every single morning. Yes. And, and that's what, that's what I'm going to call self-care. And that just doesn't work. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that, uh, that what you've referred to is just the tuning in mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not just like a one-time thing. And then phew, boy, I got through that burnout phase and now I'm in, in a wellness phase, but it's, it's the constant coming yes. in. What do I need? What do I desire? What's going on? What can I change? What can't change? Yes. Asking those questions uh, mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And wouldn't that be lovely to have that built into a workplace actually? Mm -hmm. um, because, because the checking in takes a little bit of breathing space. You need a little bit of time to actually pause and say, huh, what am I feeling and what do I actually need right now? There, there actually needs to be space for that. So wouldn't that be a beautiful, I mean, certainly that's never been on any performance review that I've ever been part of, right. but how much healthier would the team be if everyone did a check-in and said, what do I need this week? Yeah, hmm. yeah. I think too with caregivers that as soon as you're around other people, we are, we have a, an instinct in us that sort of is drawn to the other, you know, yeah. so, as, as, so I think that a lot of that checking in part, I have to do in solitude because yeah. as soon as other people are around, um, there's this little part of me that's like, you know, moving outward and, and going, yeah. what do you need? What's going on? Aware of other people's I'm needs and aware of the other. Yeah. And so knowing that about myself, I, a lot of my self-care practices are done in solitude. Um, I, you know, I do, you know, there are times where I might tune in and say, oh, I need some social time, you know, mm -hmm. and that's fine. But as soon as I'm around people, I'm drawn more out of myself um, mm -hmm. and into, you know, the being more aware of the other. So, um, yeah, I think that it's the, the stillness, the, the, just the quiet, moments of solitude where we can do that work um so so i don't know i you know could we could we um uh you know, could some agencies actually create a space like that like a you know a, a quiet a quiet space for solitude and and reflection um i think that a lot of agencies don't have space like that right where yeah. you're just always around people and um it's hard to do that 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 self-awareness work when you're in certain environments, you know, so. 
And even as you're speaking about that, thinking about an agency that I worked in where we did all have our own offices, which is a rare thing and a beautiful yeah. thing. We did have doors to close, but um, there was a bit of a, yeah, the culture that if your door was closed, it was a bit offensive. If your door was closed, you were, you know, in a cold resistant spot instead right. of uh, drawing in and recentering. So I think, you know, discussions and kind of a culture shift toward, especially as you said, as givers and being so others focused, it's really healing and wonderful to close that door and, and catch your breath for a little bit, but that might need to be a culture change. <laughs> Again, it, you know, it comes back to that balance between, between what we're, the choices we make and then, and then that sort of, um, you know, being perceived in a certain way uh, that maybe make it difficult to maintain those choices or, you know, us sort of being persistent and then sh shifting the culture um, by, by sticking with those. Yeah. Choices. So yeah. definitely it, it, you know, I, it's, and I always say like something has to change somewhere. And I think a lot of times if we sit back and say, you know, well, if only the agency would change or the management would change or the attitude would change, the culture would change. Then if we sit back and wait for that, then, you know, we're, we're, we're probably going to suffer for a while, mm -hmm. you know, whereas uh, sometimes, sometimes, although it's definitely, there's some challenges to being that person that, you know, resists <laughs> and does something different. Um, a lot of times that I think, it, it, I guess from my own perspective, and I'm speaking on my own on behalf, it was less painful to do that than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, but I knew, I knew not making change, I was suffering anyway. So I, I might as well take the risk and, and be the black sheep and, and, and try to, uh, to, to, you know, um, yeah, just create that little a little bit of change. So I don't know if I made any big difference in the grand scheme of things and the culture of an organization, but it made a difference for me. Well, I bet you did. And it gives permission then for other people to... Yeah, like a little bit of a ripple effect, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm, I, think uh, so. I guess that's how all change has really ever happened, right? Is See the change, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Very nice. So, so uh, what, uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, what, what are you going to do today that uh, um, allows you to uh, do that self-reflection and self-care? How are you going to experience wellness today? Hmm, great question. Well, I've actually given myself today, um, so I, I go back to work tomorrow to my, my new position, this part-time job, and I've spent the last few weeks quite quite busy on all the tasks, mm -hmm. setting up a private practice, which has been so much fun. Um, so I've actually given my today, myself today as a, a little vacation day, which feels guilty and <laughs> for whatever reason. So the sun is shining here. I'm going to go out for a long walk along Lake Ontario and just nurture my soul that way. And um, I do have a couple of tasks I need to do for my supervisor, just a couple of things I need to submit. Um, I'm going to cook myself a really healthy meal. Today I'm giving myself a little bit of a self-care pampering day, knowing that the next few weeks are, are going to be busy again. So yeah. 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 Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lucky one. Yeah. Well, you know, I did a self-care day. Um, well, oh, it was family day when it was family day in Ontario. And then I realized that um, we're on the Quebec side. So all of uh, my kids Whoa. and my husband went to work and I was like, Oh, look at that. I have a day to myself. And I, and I, I gave myself permission to, you know, I said, you know what, this is definitely going to be a self-care day. Um, I'm just going to do what feels right and what feels nourishing. 
And uh, I definitely recognize that throughout the day, I had all these urges to like, well, I'm home, I'll, I'll, I might as well do the laundry at the same time. And, you know, and, I, and then I went for a really long walk. And, um, and then I, I was close to a store and I thought, well, I'm this close, I might as well pop in and, you know, do a quick little grocery shop. And I, I had to resist those urges all day. And I'm really proud that I did. I said, no, you know, this walk, is doesn't have a purpose other than to be nourishing there's no agenda here and being home there's no agenda the laundry will still be there tomorrow there's no <laughs> urgency for that i had to keep convincing myself ah. to do things um that that i know is about productivity i like yes. i like the feeling of being productive mm. um I think I'm used to being multitasker. So if I'm not multitasking, there's definitely this little voice in my head that goes, you're not being productive. I'm Lacker. Lacker. So I was, I, I actually spent the whole day really tuned into that little voice that was there that I went, Oh, look, it's there again. You know, it keeps popping up that urge and resisting it and soothing it and speaking compassionately towards myself. Um, and then I journaled about it a ton. I was like, wow. You know? So, so, um, so yeah, I think that we do need to give ourselves permission. I do think that I love that, that word that you use just, you know, it really starts with that. Give yourselves permission mm -hmm. to take the day to do nourishing things. And sometimes self-care is about, you know, checking things off the to-do yep. to list as well. Sure. Um, and that's what's right for me. And that's what I need right now. But um, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. And I hope Thank that you. that little voice in your head, if you've got a, <laughs> a similar one to mine, that, you know, that you can, you can talk it down and say, settle down. We'll do that later. <laughs> Today is about press. Exactly. Very nice. Well, it was really lovely to talk to you, Angie. Thank you for sharing a part of your story and your perspective on things and uh, have a lovely day. Thank you. It's been a delight. Thank you for letting me be part of this. Have no a great problem. day. Awesome. You too.